0: happy friday ladies and gentlemen this is episode number 124 of shut up and grind with your host yours truly robert b foster i'm not rocking the tank top today because i'm excited for the first time since october of 2019 my fitness team and i are heading up to new hampshire for the spartan super so i'm rocking my spartan super shirt today so it's a very exciting thing. So m- most people know I'm, I'm a diehard obstacle racer. I love this stuff. So not being able to do it for the last year has really, really sucked. So we've done a couple of races so far, but this is the first Spartan of the season. So I'm rocking the Spartan gear. All right. So if you're new to the show, please make sure you like, share, and who's this? Right, and they just really don't know their overall direction in life. So the purpose of this show is to highlight guests who were right where you were at some point, and they were able to get through whatever that mess was that they were going through to where they are now, and then we'll share the successes that they have now. But it's just to let you know that not everyone was born with a silver spoon in their mouth. But everybody goes through stuff at some point. And so we're gonna hit so we, we share this stuff to let you know that you can get through whatever it is you got going on. And why should you listen to me? Here's a couple of reasons starts with clarity of vision if you don't have the clarity of vision whatever next thing you get you're not going to see it through because you don't have the clarity of vision so the, the point of my pain was being told you will never run or jump again and all that stuff i was like you know what like i want to be able to take this even bigger you know why you do what you do, you have to know how to charge for what you do. That's how you're going to change your life. And that's how you're going to leave a legacy for your children and your family. You've got to know your worth. That never gets old. I like that music. It gets me every time. It's like, yeah. (laughs) All right. So I am proud to announce that my new program, Speak About Yourself Out Loud, is complete. So I did it a year ago, but I kind of spliced speaking and business, and it was kind of unclear. So I spent the last couple of months reforming reformatting it we took out the business stuff it's going to be all about speaking and helping you take control of your personal stories because one thing that 2020 taught me when everything went virtual after after the gyms were shut down i sat in on a lot of virtual meetings and a lot of people really suck at telling the stories and i'm not saying that to be funny it's just fact cuz there's so many people who are really really bad at it so i created a program to address that need And it will teach you how to take the things that you've experienced and how to find the power in it, find the lesson, find the message in it, and turn it into something that can inspire other people. And if it's something that you dealt with, say, trauma-wise, it can help you heal from whatever it is that's hurting you. So I have five people beta testing it right now. And then once I get their results, we'll put it out to everyone else. So that way you'll be able to master your personal stories. So today... My guest, she's in the ho- holistic health space, and going through her background, I think we're gonna have a really dynamic and and inspirational conversation today. So I I used to do this reading out their bios, but I like it better when they talk about about themselves. So we're gonna bring her in right now, Dr. Lona Cook. Welcome Hi. to the
1: show. Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: My pleasure. I think I'm going to start setting up a separate speaker and have like a round of applause when I announce, <laughs> announce the, the, the guest. And I think that would add a nice touch to it. What do you think?
1: Uh, sure, why not?
0: <laughs> All right. So where are you joining us from?
1: I'm in western Wisconsin, about an hour and a half away from Minneapolis. Yeah.
0: Nice. I was there once. I actually went to Chicago and i went up to wisconsin just because i wanted to put my feet in what's that lake michigan i believe that's up there right yeah yeah so only time i've been to wisconsin but i do plan on going back because i want to sightsee and and uh, all that good stuff so what's good to see out there
1: oh well the fall is beautiful out here but you know maybe stay away when it hits december january february unless you really like the cold but it's beautiful right now Mm -hmm.
0: i'm in rhode island i hate the cold yeah, Ab- absolutely. Heat. It, it gets cold here. So I'm not going anywhere where it's colder. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it's cold here.
0: <laughs> yeah. So spring, summer, fall, maybe I'll check it out. <laughs> there you go. All right. So who is Lona?
1: Oh, you told me you're going to ask that question. Like, okay, aren't we all like a million different things? Um, mm. So yeah, depending on what story I want to tell. Um, but then watching your intro, which I agree is awesome. Um, I have to say, first of all, there's so much power in how you tell how you tell your story. So to maybe give you a snippet into who I am, I've been in, uh, I'm a chiropractor. And I've been in practice 11 years, almost 12 in private practice. I'm an entrepreneur in that I've opened my practices from scratch. And I have multiple practices. So I've gone through that brick and mortar opening several times. Um, And I also love, I think what you love, which is helping people see that they can create whatever they want. So we do some masterminds and whatnot. And I've recently written a book that's kind of birthed me out of my comfort zone because I'm used to speaking to holistic health people in general, chiropractors and otherwise. And I realized so much of what I've learned is so applicable to anyone, even if you aren't interested in that. Um, And so I recently wrote a book using my own story as an example for breaking through and recognizing the power you do hold. So I started... um, you know the story at i got held up in gunpoint in costa rica i was um out of the country it could have happened anywhere and it was like a metaphor for the fact that i needed a wake-up call big time in my life at that point um, <laughs>
0: that'll
1: do it yep that was a good um you know gun to the chest is a nice pause <laughs> <laughs> so, um So from that point, and I I say that jokingly now, but honestly, it was like such a quick thing that happened. But when I, in hindsight, look back on everything else that was happening in my life at that time, I really don't believe in coincidences. So, you know, when you learn that you hold power, you also start to witness your life externally, almost as a mirror to your internal life. Um, And it was at that point that my life started to wake up. And And then again, it's no coincidence that like the power that I started to recognize I had then transformed my life into things I could never have dreamed about, you know, over a decade ago. So um, I hope I can share more of that with you today. But at this point, I'm a mom, I'm a business owner, I'm a healer, I love geeking out on understanding life and health and really this inner world, external world connection that we have more of the quantum aspect of life, if you will. Um, So fascinating.
0: Love it. Great answer. See, I like how you said, recognize the power that you had. And as you see, it says it right there above us as well is that's, that's part of the, that's the beauty of what we do, you know, cause it's one thing to just do something to make money. You know, it's another thing when you actually help people have those breakthroughs, like being in the gym. Remember my first, my first business coach, Kept telling me, you know, you're never going to grow the business if you're working in the business, like you got to work on the business. I'm like, yeah, but I like being there when people accomplish these goals, you know, when they hit, whether it's a weight goal or whether a lifting goal or a timed goal, you know, or run or somebody hits up a box jump PR. Like, I want to be there for all of those moments. It's like, that's why I did this, Mm -hmm. you know, I didn't do this so I could sit, sit at a computer and talk on the phone all day. You know, it's like, I know that that's part of it, but that's not where I belong. Like, I belong with the people. Mm -hmm. And then same thing with the speaking. It's like, I love getting up and just sharing, you know, the dirty parts of my life and just showing how it changed me, Mm -hmm. you know, like just how it changed everything. Like you took that moment with you and it changed you. And now you're sharing how it changed you, where you could have just played the victim role and said, oh, I got, I got, you know, uh, held up and this happened to me. I felt this type of way. But you took that moment and you used it to propel you forward. You know, like, and that's the purpose of doing things like this. Mm -hmm. So growing up, what what was your initial childhood dream?
1: That's interesting. I had my my parents are both teachers. And so I think I was like the typical kid that said, whatever their parents usually did was one of the things you wanted to do. Yes. Um, so I, I remember being interested in teaching. I do, I think early on, I did have an interest in chiropractic. I thought it was really cool that our chiropractor growing up helped people with their hands. I didn't know a whole lot more about it than that yeah. at the time. Yeah. Um, but there is, I do have this sense and this is part of how i think my life has transformed And you know i didn't have a deep faith if you will growing up my parents you know took us to church and whatnot um but i i guess it didn't seem real to me at the time and part of my own transformation too is like realizing i don't care what you call it honestly that you are part of something much bigger and that if there's wisdom and intelligence in a flower and a sunflower seed and like the beautiful sacred geometry that's in it, that then that's present in you too. Um, And so that again, wasn't something that maybe was right there when I was a kid, but it was something that as I've gotten older, I, I think there were seeds planted in my childhood that allowed me to like step into that as I could start to formulate my own thoughts on that.
0: Nice. Yeah, I love that. I, I try to preach to people in almost every aspect of life that it's just, it's not about you. Mm-hmm. And so like when people join my gym, I was like, yes, you know, you're you're joining a gym because you want to get yourself into better shape, but do it for something beyond that. Like, is there someone in your family that's maybe less healthy than you are, mm-hmm. where your journey can inspire them to want to get healthy? See, so now mm-hmm. it's bigger than you. You know, so I agree with that 100%, hundred like people can believe in what they want to believe in as long as you believe in something mm-hmm. and that you know that you have a much bigger purpose than to just wake up, go to work, you know, make sure, sure your kids are fed and then you go to sleep. You know, you yeah. do that for 60 years and then you die. Uh, <laughs> you, know what I mean? I, like, you hit
1: the nail on the head. <laughs> yes. I remember in grad school, I said that to my dad, um, you know, I was in chiropractic school, which is honestly not that inspiring during that time you're waking up you're going to school you maybe work out you study and um I called him and I said I said that to him like I'm I'm just so bored like this is what my life is right now and and he said to me and this sounds bad and he's I've said it to him a million times he goes well Lona what do you think life is and I was like appalled that he said Mm -hmm. that to me at the time I was like no like that isn't what I don't want it to feel you know, boring and the same every day. yes, and so I, I remember, and this is probably one of the best things my I credit my dad's side of the family mainly for this, but is that my parents were very much like you know, people who allowed you to have your own thoughts and to disagree at times and yes. um and were free thinkers. and so. You know, I said back to him, that may be your life. That's not my life, which again, I know I was young and I get that we get in routines and there is an aspect of grind, you know, your name of your podcast that (laughs) is important. But again, it's, are you aligned with your passion? Are you doing it for the right reasons that there's something bigger that you're working towards versus like grinding and not being energetically connected to it? So um, yeah, that, that's big hmm.
0: Yes. Like when people tie success to money, I always re- remind people like there are people who are filthy, filthy rich who are sitting in jail mm-hmm. <laughs> right now who have a drug problem, who have an alcohol problem, mm-hmm. you know, or have just some other type type of, of, of addiction. It's like, yeah, they have all the money in the world, but they're not fulfilled. Right. You know, it's like when you do something that's fulfilling, it's just you can't put a price tag on that. Like I had a woman at the gym, uh, so maybe a month ago, she comes up to me. She's like, "Rob, one day I'm gonna climb that that rope." I was like, "Why not today?" And she said, "Um, I, I, uh, uh I was like, all we have is today." Mm-hmm. I said, "That's that's all we have. The only moment we have is right now." I <laughs> said, so, "So go over to the rope, and lock in and go." And, yeah. she, did, and she did it. <laughs> you know? But she just had it in her head that she couldn't do it. Yeah. And there's, and there's so many, so many times I've seen. People have, you know, I use the word great greatness, you know, but like people have greatness within them that they're suppressing because for whatever reason, they think maybe the time has passed or they need to learn something or it's not the right time. I'm like, what other time do you have?
1: Uh, <laughs> so true. What <laughs> have is now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you realize like the more that you recognize the time is now, the more that time sort of breaks down for you. You know, it's like, uh, it is. You know, you go into quantum thought and they say, like, time isn't real. And on some level, you can stretch and condense time and start to play with it almost. So I agree with you. You put our mind, puts so many constructs in place for us that aren't necessary. Um, and they, they end up being boundaries to our growth, for sure.
0: Yes. I, I tell my kids, I have five of them. Right. I tell my kids. Uh, well, I was actually driving with my, my 19-year-old daughter the other day. And I said to her, I said, you know what the definition of, of maturity is? She's like, uh, yeah. And I said, well, I'm going to give you mine, right? Maturity is you have as much fun as you possibly can, but know when to be serious.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> it's like, like, that's, that's my definition of, of maturity. You enjoy every inch of your life that you can, but when it's time to, you know, pony up and get stuff done, you, you, you know, when to flip that switch on because like I'm yeah. constantly doing everything that makes me happy. Everything. You know, okay. like, like I'm no longer doing stuff that I don't want to do. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, and I'm unapologetic about it. You know, people are like, Rob, you want to come hang out? No, I don't. I'm going home. Oh, <laughs> and well, everyone's going. I said, no, <laughs> it's like, I just want to go home and relax. It's mm-hmm. like one of the, one of the most empowering things you can do mm-hmm. is actually safeguard your own time <laughs> you know? and energy. Yep. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right. So when did you first become an entrepreneur?
1: Yeah, I opened my first practice January, 2010. So okay. it would have been January 11th.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> January 11th, 11, 11, January I think I was September of 2010 when I first started rent- renting space. Like I started training out of my spare bedroom in my house, believe it or yeah. not. And then I moved into my garage and then to a playground. And then I finally started rent- renting space once I had clients.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But yeah, so 2010. All right, so so what what made you go into it for yourself?
1: Well, okay, so I told you already that the like, holdup happened in 2009 at the end of the year. So I I thought I was going I live in Wisconsin. And so I thought I was moving out to California to take a job for my last externship and then starting my career in chiropractic. So I would not have been starting my own practice. Well, it was like the world kind of dumped upside down on me at the time again, divine intervention is all I have to look at it at this point, but I had to get out of my own way, which meaning I was like, and I talk about this somewhat in the book, but I was someone who like to a fault, if I said I was going to do something, I was going to do it and, and, and kind of like, take no prisoners. So I couldn't sometimes see that I did need to make a different decision. Mm-hmm. And so anyways, lots of things were flying in my face at the end of 2009. Like that just were signs that it was not probably a great decision for me to move to California at that point. Yeah. Um, and so it took, again, all these little things and big things to happen where all of a sudden I did pause. And just, I remember I was driving home after my last day in my internship in St. Paul, Minnesota. And my, the doctor I worked for at that time, she looked at me and she's like, Lona, if you need a sign that you're not supposed to do this, I'm your sign. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, I don't know if it works that way. And so I'm like crying, driving down the interstate back to um, Chippewa Falls where my parents were. And I was supposed to drive out the next morning with my mom, um, to California. And she looked at me and I didn't, I'm not a crier necessarily. And she was like, are we going? And I said, I don't know. And and I went to sleep and I woke up in the morning. And I just knew like, I'm not, I am not supposed to actually go out there. So lo and behold, I find myself with, you know, three months until I graduate and I don't know what I'm supposed to do next, but clearly it might not be California anymore. So I just started looking at spaces around my area. So to see if I did open a practice, you know, I'm going to be a chiropractor quickly here, what am I going to do? So I started, I started taking interviews, because there were some chiropractors that I could work for in the area, um, and had a couple job offers. But I also started looking at space. And it was like, something shifted a I started taking some action in this other direction. And it was like the momentum started to build. So Um, little signs started to show up, you know, I had a business plan I had to do for school. And the weird thing is, that I actually did two business plans, which I'll get into in a second. But um, yeah, I just started to take some action towards like, maybe this is a dream I'm supposed to do. Maybe it is supposed to happen now. So as I was looking at space and going to banks, like the first bank I went to offered me a loan, which was like not a common experience for most chiropractors (laughs) at the time. So I was like, okay, that's interesting. And then a woman had like called Um, and left a message that had heard that I was potentially opening a practice. And she said, I'd love to volunteer my time for free to help her. And I was like, that's so weird. And so there was these weird, um, like serendipities almost happening. And so I was like, okay, I got to start to pay attention to this because I literally a month ago was being held up at gunpoint and now this is starting to happen. it was like, it felt like something good was unfolding. So I started to like go with that. Um, and so that's how I decided not to take the jobs in someone else's practice. And I knew ultimately I, I would probably be most happy working for myself. I was excited about the idea of creating it. Um, and I said I, I did two business plans. Well, I had no intention of opening multiple practices at the time. Um, but three years later, the second practice I opened was in the exact location that I had done one of the other business plans for. So uh, it's just weird how you put your mind on something and sometimes you don't even have to think about it and it starts to like gravitate towards you.
0: So true. So mm-hmm. true. I I tell people, you you, you find whatever you seek. It's mm-hmm. it's it's that simple. Like if you look for problems, you're going to find problems. <laughs> if you so look true. for opportunities, you're going to see the opportunities. Yes. But so many times the opportunities arrive when it's the right time not when you're ready for it like that's what we have to grasp as humans because there were times where opportunities will fall right in people's laps like ah you know i don't have time for that yet I'm like, and again i go back to what i said earlier what other time do you have it's like the opportunity is here now it just fell from heaven into your lap and, right. and, and you're pushing it away so it's good that you were able to recognize the signs when they were there Cause so many times some people get hit right in the face with the sign. And they're like, oh, I just can't catch a break. I'm like <laughs> yeah. a break just fell on your lap and you rejected it. <laughs>
1: yes. No, you're so right. And and that's where I think the juxtaposition of the month before and how difficult mm-hmm. things had felt. To like, I humbled myself. I found myself like making a new decision. And then all of a sudden, these things that I was like, why are you offering to help me? And like it was jaw-dropping how different it felt so it was like i have to pay attention this feels wildly different in my life and i think that's why a lot of people do have breakthroughs after they go through a shit storm you know yeah. it's like yep. if you're willing to look
0: yes mm-hmm. well well, there too i mean i'm assuming you felt your mortality as the gun was to your chest
1: maybe not in the <laughs> moment but certainly as soon as i recognized what was happening yeah, yeah. it was a weird experience mm-hmm.
0: yes because wh- where i made my shifts so i donated a kidney to my sister in 2011 and I was pretty okay with the whole with the whole thing, even though like she ended up catching a virus. This was just uh, back in 2011, so we had to wait till the virus fully left her system before we could do the transplant, which took uh, almost a year and a half. So I had a long time to dwell on this, mm-hmm. but it really wasn't until two days before the surgery where I started questioning, you know, because like wherever we came from thought it was a good idea that we had two. You yes. know, so it's like, I get it. I can live with one, but we were designed to have two. And that's just where <laughs> I started, just started questioning stuff, you know, because kidney disease run, runs runs in, in the family. Like she's not the only one that's needed a uh, a transplant over the years. So I just started thinking, but like, that was the one time where I, I really felt my mortality. Mm-hmm. And that's when I decided, like, I'm not doing anything that I don't want to do ever again. You know, and then I was in a relationship at the time where her side of the family was, pretty negative, you know, mm-hmm. so like I hated going to events with them just cause it was just one big whose life sucks worse fest, <laughs> you know? And so I was like, I'm, I stopped going to them. Mm-hmm. And you know, obviously that caused strain in the relationship, but I was like, I'm I'm not faking my way through life anymore. Like I'm not doing it. Like if it doesn't serve me, if it doesn't serve my, my family and bring me fulfillment, it's not happening,
1: mm-hmm. you know? So yeah.
0: I, I can just imagine what you were feeling in that moment. <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, and and that's the thing is I think you look at people who a lot of, a lot of times you put up on a pedestal you want to emulate. And and if you look at like how they set boundaries in a healthy way, right? Like what when are they willing to do things? When are they not willing to do things? What do they yes. do with their energy? What do they do with their time? What do they do with their money? Like the currencies, mm. right? Of time, energy, and money. Yeah. They're just more like you said, they're willing to do certain things that you're not willing, and they're willing to put lines in the sand where some of us need to draw some lines in the sand
0: <laughs> it's true it's yeah. so true yeah like i said earlier there's no there's no more important thing you can do than safeguard your time yeah you know like i'll be walking just somewhere and i'll see somebody on on the phone just arguing with someone and it's like just hang up Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's like just hang up it's like you don't you don't have to deal with that it's like you're at a mall or you know where say at one of the trampoline parks or something and like this is a fun happy place and you're letting somebody rob you of this moment Mm -hmm. you know with something that probably doesn't need to be handled right this second you know so i just don't understand how people just allow that to happen to them
1: Yeah. No, I I think one of the things that has become probably the, the, the biggest thing I want to teach people is that as I like my professional teaching on like chiropractic and the spine and the nervous system, as I learned about that and that being like the energy channel of your body. And then I would like diving down the rabbit hole of trying to understand more of like, why does one person heal and another person doesn't? And clearly we are more than our physical body. So there's Not only our physical part, but our soul or our spirit or our life force, whatever you want to call it. And there's clearly a connection between our mind, body and spirit and stress emotionally and mentally affects our physical body. The more I started to wrap my brain around that and understand that, that we are basically just energy emanating out from us. And somehow, you know, you and I have found each other today, like our energies interacted you know we're all doing this, but what we don't realize is that's where our power is. Is like if I can keep my energy channel in these higher states of love, gratitude, um, courage, willingness, um, peace, etc., I have far more power in my life to create what I want than if I go into fear, anger depression, shame, grief, etc. That is an energy grid that you are putting out. And so we talk about law of attraction, you know, I think a lot of successful people, to some extent, understand law of attraction. And that's like goal setting. But what we don't understand is that whether we're goal setting or not, we are walking law of attractions by the nature of the fact that we are incarnate in a physical body with a spirit.
0: Yep. Love it. I had the author of the last law of attraction book you'll ever read. He was on my show twice. And uh, we, we dug deep into that law of attraction because the people who say that they don't believe in it, like it's still happening to you. Right. <laughs> and yeah. like, whether you believe in it or not, you <laughs> yes. attract, like I said earlier, you find what you seek. It, it's, it's that simple. Yeah. So, so if you're someone that says, Oh, I this like a dark cloud is over me. Nothing ever goes right for me. If something's gonna go wrong, it's gonna happen to me. Like you're willing that stuff to you.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, it's <laughs> you like know? what your title up there. Your power lies in your story. Your true power. Yes. Like if you want to change your life, change how you tell your story. Yes. Right. Like,
0: Absolutely. Yes.
2: Yes. yes, yes.
0: <laughs> like I was saying in my uh, my monologue there about when everything everything uh, went virtual last year, mm-hmm. with when, when the gym closed, I joined this mastermind group about media exposure and oh my god I was I was I wanted to like just gouge my ears as I was listening to everyone introduce themselves and I was like I I have to I have to do a speech on this so like this is just not good and there are people that were very successful in in this Mm -hmm. group I'm like how do you have a seven-figure business when you can't even describe what you do Mm -hmm. (laughs) You you know like if you can't describe what you do in a sentence or two I mean, this one woman spoke for like five solid minutes and I'm like, so what, so what do you do? <laughs> you know? It's like after all of that, you know, yeah. so you're absolutely right. It's understanding, understanding the lessons in the things that happened to you.
1: Mm-hmm. That's
0: where people miss, miss the boat. They just talk about what happened to them. Right. It's, it's like, okay. But how did you get beyond that? It's like, that's where the power lies. It's not in the, what happened. It's how did you move past
1: it? Right. Yeah, no. And, and even, yeah, the, the. Uh, What do you want to say? Like the, did you label this as like you were the victim? That's what you took away from it. Or no, it's it was the catalyst for change in my life. And if it hasn't been the catalyst for change yet, you still can retell that story like it is like it's not set in stone. I think that's the other thing is we think it's not truth if we tell it a different way and it's like your version of the truth is your version of the truth you know <laughs>
0: exactly so I was told you know my, my listeners know I because this is like part of my core story it's like I was cold, I was told in uh, 2009 had a bad knee injury that I would never run or jump again and so I I could have just let that let that mm-hmm. be but in that moment okay I, I gotta be transparent I cried first you know like I had I had just started my, my fitness business. You know, I had said, you know, my kids were much younger then, but I was like, I have five little kids. Like you're trying to tell me I I won't be able to run around at the park with with, with my kids or play tag with them or whatever, you know, like I'm not going to be able to demonstrate things with with my clients. Like I just decided to walk away from corporate and Mm -hmm. focus on what I wanted to do. And like, and now you're telling me this. And then once I got over the what was me part, I was like, he doesn't get to decide how I heal. Right. <laughs> you know, I was like, he, does, he doesn't have that power. You know, I was like, with all due respect, and I'm not dis- disrespecting your Ph.D., I said, but your Ph.D. is about medicine. You know, your Ph.D. is not about my ability to heal. Mm. I said, so I went game on, went game on with my physical therapy, and I, I did above and beyond what was asked of me. And when I took those first steps in, in running, I was like, I'm making a full comeback, so, like, I heard it at a track meet. Now, granted, it took me seven years to get the nerve to get back on the track again. But once I got back on the track, and, and, and the high jump is the event where it happened. But I've been undefeated since 2016. That's awesome. You know, since so 2016. And it's, and I tell that story constantly. Because when people say, oh, well, you know, I was told, well, well, stop letting people tell you mm. stuff. Okay, mm. what what do you think? You know, like that's what a power is. What do you think? Because whatever whatever you think, that's, that's what's going to become fact. So, so just because somebody else thinks you can't do it, what do you think?
1: Mm. You know? I know. I was listening to something that said a teacher should never teach a student unless they think that there's a genius inside of them. And I think mm. the same is true. Like a healer should not work with a patient unless they know full healing is inside of them. You know, it's yes. like we need more of that. That, tra- that transforms our world you know
0: mm-hmm. agreed so just unfortunately just so many people would just believe every little thing that that they're told like one of my clients she's been pretty banged up like ever since she started with with me just like hip issues knee issues you know mm-hmm. so she comes in a couple of weeks ago with a knee brace on again i'm like what the hell happened now <laughs> and I, I was like have you been seeing the, the, the same doctor and physical therapist this whole time? And she's like, yes. Yeah. And have you ever considered getting a second opinion? I said there's 7 billion humans on the planet. Like you don't have to listen to just one,
1: mm-hmm. you
0: know? So like I said, with, with that, with, um, with my old primary care doctor, like I had tendinitis in my knee for forever, pretty before it broke. You know, that's just mm-hmm. from track, basketball, volleyball, just I did all high impact sports. And so, Remember, I had a flare-up, and I went to uh, my primary care. He's mm-hmm. like, oh, this is simple. Just stop running. And I said, I will not be coming back here, so you're aware. And I went, and I found myself a primary care who's also a sports physician, mm-hmm. and he's still my primary care now. I said, okay, mm-hmm. I said, "I need someone who, who is or was an athlete. Because, mm-hmm. like, you're trying to tell me Peyton Manning gets a high ankle sprain, and he's, he's back out on the field in two weeks. You're trying okay. to tell me I have to completely stop running? Something's wrong here.
1: (laughs) But you advocated for yourself too, knowing that you needed to do that. And that that's also a powerful message. I think people need to hear that.
0: Yes, absolutely. You are
1: your best doctor. You need to be the one in control of what happens to you. Yeah.
0: Yes. Yes. So what inspired you to write your book?
1: Uh, Yeah, I think so. I wanted to take a lot of what I, you know, we've been talking about of how did I take some of this life. School of hard knocks of what was working, what wasn't working, what I recognized when I was taking back my power and learning that I can change my life and I can create success and like keep uh, engaged and fulfilled in what I was creating. Like, how do I start to teach that to anyone, Um, not just people who maybe are like, oh, I like chiropractic or oh, I like holistic health where I had a little bit of a platform already. I wanted to use my story to go into a bigger into a bigger world. Um, and so that's why I wrote it is I was ready to share more of the good, bad and ugly. And then again, the story that I have now, when I look at like, instead of why are things happening to me? Why is this happening for me? Or why is this happening through me? And what is here for me? You know, so using my own story to hopefully help people do that for themselves.
0: Love it. Yeah. We're, we're very, very much aligned like, like that. Cause Years ago, I mean, it's probably still on now, I don't know, it was a blog talk radio. I had a show on there called Shut Up and Exercise. Mm-hmm. And it was never it was never my childhood dream to be a big fitness guy. You know, mm-hmm. like I, I was always an athlete. And so when I started, so I kind of like fell into it. I started training people just for a hobby. You know, just to kind of break up the, the suck of the, the grind every day just mm-hmm. working in corporate. And so, and then it just started growing and growing. And then, like I said, it was cool watching people hit their milestones. Like For regardless sure. of what they are, I was like, this is kind of cool. It's like, you know, people come, like I push them, they pay me. I'm like, this is, this is cool. Yeah. But, my, but my childhood dream has always been speaking and getting on television.
1: Mm. You
0: know, so this here is the, the closest thing. Cause like when you get on TV, like they kind of <laughs> own you. Yeah. <laughs> so and at least with this I I can control what I, what I do when I talk when I broadcast like I I can control all of that. Like yeah. I don't want to be bound like t- today you're going to be in California and then tomorrow you're going to be here then you're going to go on location for 3 months like that no mm-hmm. like like I don't I don't want all of that. But but that's been my thing with speaking so I was like I don't want to pigeonhole myself to just fitness. Mm-hmm. And so I find I, I was saying to my clients constantly, it's like, if you want to work, you have to grind. If you want the result, you have to grind. Like, I was saying it constantly. And then when I'd have the repeat complainers, I would just tell them, listen, just shut your mouth and grind. <laughs> yes. I, would, I would say it constantly, just shut your mouth and grind. Like, this is why you're yo-yoing, because you're not focused on the mm. task at hand. Mm. And then shut up and grind was was born, because I can take that to really anything. It's like yes. I've helped people craft stories for interviews. You know, I helped a woman create a podcast. I helped someone with their branding for, for their book. It's like there's so many different things. I just took the principles that I use to help someone lose weight and build muscle. I just shifted them, reworded them a little and do, it, it works for any industry. So Absolutely true. any industry. So what are your uh, biggest takeaways in the book?
1: Yeah. I think a lot of the, what we talked about, like that life is happening through you and you're a channel essentially for your frequency that you're putting yes. out in the world. Um, and you get to change that. You get to choose the channel that you're tuned to. So mm-hmm. again, um, it's like taking this mentality of that things are random and and they're not. Um, yeah. And trying to help people see that, that, that beauty, that is intricately involved in what is happening in your outer world is connected to your inner world too. Um, And, and so I think, I think sometimes what happens too, is that people are like, yeah, I get that. Or yeah, you know, I think there's more to me than just my parts, but then when something catastrophic happens or, you know, that they don't want to look at, then that part of them isn't that way. And it's like, no, it's either all intelligent, it's all orchestrated, or none of it is. You know (laughs) what I mean? So true. So I try and talk about that, too, because I I think that's what really helps us when we hit these tough patches, which that's that's life. Like, there is always going to be the next struggle that's birthing you into what's possible for yourself. Yes. Um, And so helping people see that that's where, like, the really juicy stuff actually is for your next transformation um, and trying to use that, too. So that's one of the takeaways. Um, I talk also in there about, like, birth and transformation and not only just physical birth, like – moms having children and the power that's in birth but also like when you birth a business when you birth an idea like you you're gonna have contractions and (laughs) some pain in there um and you get to go through it just like you know you said like your knee injury happened as you were birthing this new thing of like i i you know and so i think sometimes what happens is like the universe or god gives us these trials essentially to be like are you actually committed are you gonna Mm. do this are you ready to go um so we talk about that in there I also talk about some grief my mom um has had just this like wild scenario in her health evolution and to like you know I think and one of the toughest things that can happen to people is once you know that you are responsible for you you also don't get to do it for someone else mm. and um and we can attach ourselves to people and then like literally like sink with them and and so, recognizing like who are you, what is your role, and I do this with patients too. Is like I can't heal them. I am literally a facilitator. Just like you can't lift the weights for the person. You can't yeah. make them fit. You can't control that. And I think in so many ways we have to learn that lesson with right. our loved ones. And that's part of it. even what we're seeing in the world right now is like, you know, we've lost touch with the fact that ju- the fact that just like birth is certain, death is certain, and yeah nothing is guaranteed. But what is guaranteed is I will tell you for sure, you cannot control another person. You can do your damnedest to try, but it's only going to make you miserable. So so we talk about that in there too.
0: Yeah. So, so, so true. I I deal with that all the time in the gym as well. Like when we we have, we have our, our nice tight knit community, like most, most fit fitness places do, you know, everyone says it's like, it's like family, you Mm -hmm. know, and, but, like, I always tell, tell people, you know, where were you today? Oh, well, Tr- Trisha couldn't come. So, what the hell is that going to do with you? <laughs> so yeah. It's like, you have, w- w- when you get dressed, right? Trisha's not <laughs> going into your clothes, <laughs> right? You're going into your clothes. It's like, you have to want this for you. Yeah. And I, I actually said the other day, I said, uh, you, do you know why you're struggling? I said, because I believe in you more than you believe in you. Mm. I said, when your belief level gets to where mine is for you, that's when you're going to step step your game up because I, I push my people, like I push them hard and not so I can say, yes, I'm a tough, tough trainer. It's like I push hard because life pushes hard. Mm-hmm. So everything I do within the gym, like when people ask me, are you a trainer? I say, no, I say, I'm a personal development coach. I said, I just use fitness as my platform. Love it. You know? Yes. Yeah. So as I'm having them push you know, we a maybe a hundred and fifty pound woman pushing a six hundred pound sled. I'm talking to her along the way. You know, I said when you're dealing with whatever you're dealing with out there, it's just like this moment. It sucks. You're covered in sweat. Your legs are burning, but you don't stop till you get to the finish line. Mm-hmm. I said you have to take that lesson out there. Right mm-hmm. when you start something, see it through. Like mm-hmm. don't just don't just do it till it hurts. It's like you got to go beyond the hurt. Like I always say in my timed rounds, anybody can do stuff for half the round. Mm-hmm. I said, I want to see who can finish the round. So I'm not interested in who quits. I said, I'm interested in who can see it all the way through.
1: Mm. Such a like, metaphor for everything. Yep.
0: Yes, exactly. So it's like, I didn't want to be pigeonholed as just a, just a trainer. You know, and, and for, for people who love that, God bless them. But I want, I want to be seen as more. Like I'm helping people think better so they can mm-hmm. become better. And yeah. just using my, my fitness, like the way I structure my classes, like that's the catalyst to help them get to that other side. And I've helped people through so many different things over the years as <laughs> a result of that style. You know, Mm -hmm. so like when people people come in and say, I'm not interested in your weight, I'm not interested in your measurements. It's like, I take them, but I said, but we're not going to take them again for months. We're we're going to focus on performance. Mm -hmm. Like, I want you to work on running around the building without stopping. If you have to stop for now, cool, but your first goal is to do it without stopping. I want to see how many push ups can you do in one, one minute. And then we're going to exceed that number then exceed that, that number. And they just focus on performance day in and day out. Then when you get on the scale two months from now, you're going to be a whole different beast. You know, Mm -hmm. but if you weigh in yourself every day, you know, you're going to stress yourself out. And it's the same thing in business. Like if if you're trying to force things to happen, it's just not going to happen. You're Mm. going to just do do what's necessary day in and day out. And six months later, you're going to be where you want to be.
1: Yeah. Oh, so true. I was talking to a woman who is an, an entrepreneur she's a chiropractor and and she's had success in other areas of her life because this is her second career and she's really struggling. And I was like, what's the difference here? You know? And she's like, Yeah, there's not. I'm just not applying what I know. I was like, Yeah, you don't you don't need anyone else to tell you this. You just need to go back to what made you successful when you were in the military and now do it here, you know. Yes. And I was like, is this fun anymore? And she's like. Not really, and I was like, "Why is it not fun? And and why are you doing it if it's not fun? You know, you're the one that's making it not fun, right? And it's like, again, it's like somehow we get in these things that it's almost like we need someone else to give us permission to kick our ass.
0: (laughs) It's true. (laughs)
1: Stop being that way. You get to change it, and and like you said, like if you stared at it, if you stared at how unfun it is every single day, it's never going to get more fun, right? Versus like all right, this is clearly not working. So why don't I just get radical and try something else? Cause it's not going to get any worse than what it cur- currently is. You know, it's like, so I don't know, true. but we have to stop the rut of doing the same thing and expecting somehow it's going to like miraculously change when we're doing a, the same thing. Yeah, You'll
0: get it. You'll get a kick kick out of this. This was probably about 10 years ago. Somebody sends me a Facebook inbox. And <laughs> I'll never forget this. He's like, Hey man, you know, glad to see you doing well. I'm looking to lose about 10 pounds and I don't want to exercise and I don't want to change my my diet. What do you got for me? (laughs) I was like, you've got to be kidding. (laughs) I was like, I cannot help you with this. Right. <laughs> that was my only response. Like I I can't help you with this. Like yeah, that's insane. Yeah. So but mm-hmm. but that goes right right with what you were mm-hmm. saying about doing the same thing and expecting something different. Like it just right. it doesn't work that way. It's like right. if, if you want to get, you have to give. That's mm-hmm. that's a fact of life. Like you have to give if you want to get. And in the service business as we're we're in, the more we give, the more we get. And mm-hmm. so many people don't grasp that concept you know they think oh oh well i'm not doing anything anything for free I'm like well this is why you're struggling <laughs> yeah.
2: like, like this is well, why if you gave more the world will give you back more <laughs> okay.
1: it's one of the universal laws the
2: reset and you know how his independence was on the line and which messes with your psyche when you're used to being a totally you know independent successful person coming and going and now you have to you know work you have to depend on other people to help you go to the bathroom, to wipe your butt, to feed business you.
1: is that you're accepting a monetary exchange because we've assigned a certain value to money. Otherwise people get all elated and depressed over money because we've put all these mental constructs around it, but it's really just a form of energy exchange. Yes. And if you are all out of balance with the idea around money, all of a sudden everyone's bringing you in referrals or pie or food or whatever, because yeah there has to be an exchange. It's universal law. But if you are weird about money because you think it's bad or evil or whatever, then it's not going to come to you. Probably in that form, it'll come in a different way. So you got to get your mind right around that. Otherwise it's going to be wacky.
0: Yeah. Like, (laughs) and talking with entrepreneurs about pricing, like I said, in my, uh, in my intro, I was speaking down in Atlanta about knowing your, your value, you know, and, you know, hats off to you for enduring all that and pulling through, but just like, take us through it from in your own words.
3: You know, it happens so fast. It's it's really kind of hard to comprehend. One minute I was feeling perfectly fine. The next minute I developed a cold. I started getting chills, fevers, and I'm used to having some of those symptoms because I have chronic allergies. Mm -hmm. So I didn't really put too much into it. But when the cough started, that's when it got to be scary. Um, my chest was on fire. The only way I could find any relief is I would have to kind of sloop down in what they call the cradle position, prone position. Yeah. And my wife found me one night, slooped over the ironing board and she was like kind of chastised. Said, what are you doing? Get in the bed. And I was like, I can't. This is the only way I feel like I can breathe. Wow. And that was the start of us realizing it was getting a lot more serious. So mm-hmm. just to, to back up a little bit, uh, Marcy had given me some cough medicine to kind of reduce the fever with codeine. So what? by the time we got to the hospital, I was really out of it. I was loopy. I was fine. You know, in fact, my temperature was normal. So as they, you know, triaged me at the entrance, she couldn't come in. They looked back and said, oh, his vitals are fine. So, I was going there for a typical CAT scan that was um, arranged by a doctor ahead of time. And I'm, I don't know if Marcy talked about that, but that was a life saving measure. So, when we get into the ER, it was so new. Everybody was terrified, you know, because we were what four and five in our county. Mm-hmm. They didn't have any protocols set up. For the machine as far as sterilization, how to set it up for a COVID patient. So they were really nervous about that. And the doctor said, look, we can't wait. Just looking at him, he needs to get something. Let's give him a a, a chest x-ray. Based off of that chest x-ray, it came back that I was in lung failure. Now I'm sitting in the room waiting for the doctor to come in. And I, you know, I kind of rose up off the gurney. I said, all right, doc, I know. just give me a prescription. I'll get my medicine. I'm gonna go home and go to sleep. And he looked at me, dead monster's Mr. Clark, uh, no. He said, your lungs are failing and I need to intubate you right away. No. Now, let me tell you, Robert, I was t- I was kind of loopy, but that woke me up really quick. And I was like, mm. well, I had to make him say it two or three times because I thought I was still asleep. And at, the, at that moment, I know my wife had been calling and my phone was on the other end, so... I finally got the phone, called her back, and that's when the doctor got on the phone and asked her for her permission. But by that time, they'd already started an IV. Yeah. And I was out. And that's all I remember for 28 days being on that ventilator. And I will tell you, um, there were instances, and I think it was the days that they came to visit me actually heard the conversations that they were having with the doctors. And I repeated one of them back to my daughter verbatim because she's in the medical field and veterinary medicine. And she was talking to the nurse about the different machines and how they work and how the dosages. And I remember waking up and I I asked the doctor, I said, my, my daughter was just here talking to you guys. Can you get her to come Mm -hmm. in? I thought she actually worked there. (laughs) And um, when she came over to see me, I repeated this conversation. She was like, Oh my God, did you hear that? So when people ask you, if you're under and you can hear, you definitely can hear you. definitely, I heard the entire conversation. But, you know, just getting back to waking up in the ICU, I was. Robert, it was tough, it was tough, as Marcy alluded to, they were they were basically waking me up every two hours to do vitals. Yeah. Um, during the day, it wasn't as bad because I was half up anyway, but trying to get any rest at night. That was horrible. And it took me almost a year to get over that because my body was conditioned to wake up 12 o'clock, two o'clock, four o'clock, five, mm. six o'clock. And um, I, it just, it was so frustrating. And then I would be so tired in the morning because I'm just exhausted. But um, as she mentioned, I came home an infant. I couldn't walk. I couldn't, I could barely talk. I couldn't swallow. Um, I had to learn how to do all that stuff over again. I had to hire personal um, in-house aid to assist me with just the basis of standing up, getting to the bathroom, you know, oh. and I really had to humble myself because I had oh. never thought I would be in a position that I have to count on someone like that other than my wife, you know, and I felt bad for her cause she tried it the first night. She was like, I can't do this. You know, I can't do this alone. Cause if I was to fall, she wouldn't be able to get me back up. You know,
0: how, how did that affect you just as a man?
3: It was real. It's funny you mentioned that it was really tough because I remember in the hospital um, when I first woke up and the doctors were asking me a bunch of questions and my first inclination was I wanted to get up and use the bathroom and that's when I realized I couldn't move. I was paralyzed and I, I, I totally freaked out. My blood pressure went through the roof. I remember talking to my wife that night and I just broke down. I was like, oh my God, how am I going to provide for you? How am I going to take care of this family? It froze it would froze. restore my body, but it was tough.
0: Sorry, say that say that last part part again, it froze.
3: Oh, about, um, I, I was just saying, speaking with my wife, um, I was very um, uncomfortable uh, with the fact that I thought I wasn't gonna be able to provide for the family. Uh, I'm gonna take care of you, you know, who's gonna cut the grass, who's gonna do this, who's gonna <laughs> take care of the family. I said, will I ever be able to walk again? You know, and she was on the back end. It's okay, babe. It's fine. They're going to work with you. But I'm telling you, it was very hard to believe that that was going to happen because I literally could not move.
0: Yeah. It's like, you know, it's, it's called, you know, they're they're trying to call it toxic masculinity now, but it's, it's, (laughs) it's a, it's a real thing. Like, it's a real thing. Like we are wired to provide and protect, you know, like that's what, that's what testosterone does. Because like right. when I had my, my knee injury in two thousand nine, I was thirty four years old, and I was at home with a walker. And my my ex's cousin had to come to, to the house to to babysit the twins and me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she, so, <laughs> like she would she would help me get to the bathroom. Like once I got there, I could go on my own. But she would help me get there. She'd make my lunches for me. Like and I never felt less more or less of a man than that moment exactly yeah like people don't understand like that hurts our soul when we can't when we can't provide you know it's not it's not an ego thing it's like it's what we're born to do exactly so when that gets taken from you like it it hurts you deeply like deeply so that that was that was why i wanted to ask that
3: yeah couldn't have put it any perfect and you're exactly
2: right yes
0: so you guys write the book together how how was that process
2: yeah, so um, our book actually—I <laughs>
0: know—it's—it's
2: uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's interesting how it came about. The—the um, the whole time he was in the hospital, I was j- um, journaling on the back end just for mental health clarity, all that good stuff, and then I also—I was sending out texts to my prayer group and to our family uh, with updates. Um, But when I was also talking, I was also talking to his providers on a regular basis. So I started off with little sticky notes and then they ended up um, basically becoming a full sheets of paper. And so before it was all said and done, whenever I would talk to somebody during the course of the day, because I'm talking to his providers five and seven times a day. I ended up having a binder full of notes, literally just like, you know, with progress, kind of tracking, you know, um, from the last time I talked to him to the next time. And, you know, and I was doing this all really just to stay sane, really, and just to stay organized. But as it turns out, I ended up just having like a significant amount of content after he, you know, started to recover. And again, we had a lot of interest in our story because he was so, he had gotten so sick so fast. And it was so early on and so we had you know a lot of like um, media coverage and stuff they actually filmed his hospital discharge and they actually wheeled him out in a wheelchair the whole nine yards and so you know and they followed us and did updates and things so people were really interested in our story and so I just had like friends and you know family just say you know you really should um, think about writing a book you know and I hadn't thought about writing a book I was on a, a hundred literally last year between you know, job and, you know, I was because I was still working remotely and doing, you know, my, my other stuff and and taking care of him, you know, and I was just um, not at all thinking about writing a book and definitely not a survival story. If you would have asked me before, I would have said I probably would have wrote a book on real estate or insurance or something. But anyway, as it turns out, a lot of interest in the story and we had a bunch of content. And so, you know, it wasn't that far-fetched you know, when we started to get some of those ideas. So, you know, we thought about it, we prayed about it and everything just really came together. Like you said, I don't know anything about writing a book whatsoever, right? But I knew what I needed to do. I had a message at this point, we had a message and we know that we need to get it done. And so what we did was just what you say, we got it done. We didn't know anything about book writing. So what we did was we consulted with people who know how to write books. And so, yeah, so so that's, you know, what we were able to do with our content. We just, you know, got some good editors and stuff to help us, you know, to form the storyline and organize everything. And before we know it, we ended up with a book. So, you know, the book was really, again, like from my perspective, but as I was writing, I was like, hey, babe, you need to write. Like, I need you to put a couple chapters in here because people want to hear from you. Like, you know, you need to tell the story. So he did that. And it was actually great because it was part of his recovery. He was at home at the time. He was doing inpatient or in-home physical therapy and stuff. And I think that it really just, you know, I think it really just helped him. It was very therapeutic. And it
3: actually gave me um, more of an insight on what was happening when I was on the ventilator. Because a lot of the stuff I was unaware of. So, um we have a funny story. We'll talk about we have a it later, lot of funny but she's, you know, I, I'm, I'm Martin. She's Gina. And every five minutes, I'm yelling as says, I can't read this. What does this symbol mean?
2: And- so I gotta, I gotta tell you this real quick. So like I said, my book, I was writing for me, my notes, right? my progress notes. I never intended for anybody else to ever see this. This is like writing like your journal, right? Yes. So I didn't know at the time I was writing a book, right? I'm just writing for me. So when it came time for us, when we really decided to write a book, I had to literally I had, you know, a, a binder like this, and I literally had to get my notes transcribed into text. So, you know, it's a fine text. Yeah. And, um, so I was gonna, you know, outsource that, but my husband was there and he's good at that kind of stuff. And so he ended up doing it. So in doing so, you know, of course, he went back and forth. He got on me about my hieroglyphics, because that's what they look like. It was like you know, he's like, what is this? You know, but he ended up translating all of my notes and literally typing them out for me. And so it ended up just being, you know, just a nice collaborative effort. You know, he really, really participated. It's really, truly our book. You know, like I wrote the majority. He, got, he has his chapters, but he helped me. He definitely organized them. And, you know, it was really just a good... um. It was a good opportunity for both of us because like he said, he got to kind of get inside my head and find out what I was thinking and how I was feeling, you know, when he started to transcribe my notes and stuff. And he didn't even realize again, because he was under for 28 days. He didn't even realize my notes were from the outside, from my perspective, what I was observing and hearing and feeling and thinking. And so he didn't even, he had no idea of what had gone on on the outside while he was under. So he got to really, truly just like kind of, understand and relive that whole thing. So that in itself was really impactful, you know, and it really, really helped, you know, our relationship. And I think it gave him purpose and a lot of different things when he was, you know, at some lower points.
0: So you use the word therapeutic. I want, I want you to give a message to my sister. Okay. So she had a brain aneurysm burst in 2016. Mm -hmm. Those those things only have a 20% survival rate. 20%. Mm-hmm. So she's still here and she's just like angry that it happened. She's just angry because like she was always very independent. She was athletic. She's very involved in schools. She's a mm-hmm. spe- special education director up in Massachusetts.
2: Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm.
0: and I've, I've been trying to urge her to tell her story. I said, if you tell your story, it's going to help you heal. Mm-hmm. Right? It's going to help you heal. So I promise you. So I got her to do an off air interview with me. Mm-hmm. So, like she didn't want to record it so we spoke on the phone for an hour and I, and she op- she opened up about it. And I, and I was like you have to slap a theme on what happened to you and get back into these colleges and teach the kids and the, the theme I gave her was seize the moment. You know, use that theme, go into these colleges and tell these kids you have to seize the moment when the opportunity arises, because you Mm -hmm. never know when Mm -hmm. things like this will happen.
2: Absolutely. I'm a firm believer.
0: And she's so resistant. So if you if you can just share your experiences in sharing your story, what has that done for you all internally?
2: First of all, I want you to make sure that I'm going to have your mailing address. I'm going to send your sister a copy of our book. I think it'll be very inspirational, okay? Um, secondly, um, you know, I really firmly believe that things happen for a reason. Um, and we, I went through that, and I was like, oh, my God, you know, why me? And, uh, you know, am I going to end up, you know, this was right on the heels, too, of Kobe Bryant's death. I'm like, oh, my God, is this how um, Vanessa is feeling? Am I getting ready to be a, a, a widow? You know, there's a lot of different things that you different feelings that you go through when you're going when you when you're going through and when you get on the other side. Um, But I firmly believe the short answer is I firmly believe that you go through things for a reason. And I think that God chooses people that he knows and can trust to tell his story, Mm -hmm. to tell the other side. And so there's a reason why your sister went through what she went through. And I would love to talk to her too because my mother had a massive stroke at 32 years old and her life was, was forever changed. Officer, and I was lucky. The training officer, CJ, uh, had been a Vietnam vet, all right? And he had the wherewithal to say, hey Gedney, um, you know, you need to tell that story and the officers need to hear it. And he goes, I want you now in the future after you do the HIV talk to give him some insight about the hostage thing, he said, because, you know, he basically said as a war veteran, I know that um, things like this have to be talked about and not ignored. And also that the prison needs to deal with their staff in a different